Welcome back to the Gobble Em Up podcast, an official podcast of the Fifth Quarter Network, presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg. Now, here's your host, Carter Hill. And hello, Hokies, and welcome into episode 60 of the Gobble Em Up podcast, a part of the Fifth Quarter Sports Network and presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg. Do you need a new or pre-owned car? If so, head on over to Duncan in Blacksburg. I drive a Mazda around town, and I absolutely love it. So if you want to shake things up, go get you a Mazda. Duncan will take care of you over there on 460 Business in Blacksburg. You can find some of their new and pre-owned selection of vehicles at DuncanMazda.net. So check them out if you're in the market for a new or pre-owned car. Whether you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform, we thank you all so, so much for joining us. My name is Carter Hill, your host and a contributor to Fifth Quarter, Tech Sideline, the Tech Launch Bell, 3304 Sports, many others as well. And joining me today, as always, my co-host, Jack Brizendine, who covers for 3304 Tech Sideline, a lot of different outlets as well. So joining forces once again. So Jack, thanks so much for coming on once again. we got a lot to recap today. Yeah, excited to go over a win first time this year. Yeah, yeah. First win in the Brent Pry era. 27-10 victory for the Hokies over the Boston College Eagles. And before we really get into it, and that's going to be the main thing we're talking about today, just kind of talk about Saturday night. I want to touch on the atmosphere. You were covering the game for 3304, which, if you all don't know, it's our student sports journalism program here on campus. You can find them on Twitter at 3304sports. What was your experience like? I thought the atmosphere for me was fantastic. I was in the stands. Inner Sandman was one of the best it has been in quite some time. A sold-out lean stadium for Brent Price home debut. The fireworks show was spectacular. What was your takeaways? Yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, obviously, you can't really hear too much in the press box. The <laughs> windows are a little bit soundproof, but um, it looked like a good crowd. I was surprised how many people stayed as long as they did with the rain. I know it was a good game, but when you're up, you know, 14 late into the third quarter, kind of. Until that Zay Flowers catch, it was kind of lulling a little bit. But I hope the atmosphere was great. Fans stuck around. Really happy to see the stadium filled despite what happened last week. So, yeah, it was a good experience or good good atmosphere for the team and the team to have and to kick off the prior in Blacksburg. I thought it was awesome because, like, sometimes you hear about sellouts at Lane Stadium and you still see a couple empty seats. And, and really, for me, looking around the stadium all the way up to the upper deck, you couldn't find many empty seats. I mean, it, it was packed to the brim. Yep. Yeah, I noticed uh, one thing that really, really was a pleasant surprise was the student section was pretty much filled out. The whole game, much, too. Yeah, pretty much the entire game, which, you know, there's there's a big theory, I guess, that most students leave either after under Sandman or at least before halftime. But it looked like the majority stuck around. Obviously, that contributes a lot to the noise level. So it's cool to see that section filled out throughout the length of the game. Well, with the weather, too, like it was supposed to be a pretty crummy night here in Blacksburg. Mm-hmm. It was sprinkling a little off and on, especially during the tailgate hours, but for the most part, the rain held off, and it turned into a pretty pleasant evening for sure, too. Yeah, it looked good. I mean, I was tucked away in a nice, cozy press box, but... You were nice and dry regardless. It looked like it picked up a little bit towards the end, but it wasn't too much, too much to where people couldn't couldn't bear it and were able to stay. The tailgating scene was awesome, too, just walking around. I don't know how much you saw, but walking around before kickoff and... Seeing the tailgate tent set up once again, you know, it really felt like football was back in Blacksburg, and obviously it is. There was a ton of excitement around the program, a ton of excitement around that game this past Saturday, even with the loss to Old Dominion a week prior to that, which obviously 
we've, we've dove into that way too much. But it was a fun, fun night for the Hokies, a fun, fun night to be a Virginia Tech fan from start to finish. A lot of people I talked to had a great tailgate, had a great time at the game, made a, a nice little fun weekend out of it. You know, I went to the Suns of Saturday event on Friday and got to talk to a lot of people there. I think it's a tailgate much before the game on Saturday doing the pregame show, but still got to kind of enjoy it with some friends and see what was going on. I did not hear a report about the Center Street situation. Have you? No, I didn't. So I kind of just left left the house and went up uh, 460, did not see Center Street at all. I didn't Saturday, get a report. So didn't hear too much. Didn't hear anyone that was able to go over there. So I don't really know what happened. Well, the tailgating scene was awesome. It was it was cool to see that and cool to see how much the fan base was excited to be back in Lane Stadium. And it sets up kind of quite the opposite this weekend with an 11 a.m. game, but we'll get to that later in the week in our Wofford preview. So with that, a great night for the Hokies. Let's get right into it. A 27-10 to victory over Boston College. It was Brett Price's first ever victory here at Virginia Tech, first in Lane Stadium. Also, potentially even more importantly, moves them to 1-0 in ACC play. Defensively for Virginia Tech, it was one of those vintage lunch pail defense, old Bud Foster performances, and just one of those that it's hard to forget. Yeah, so the game started out with the pick on the second play. Obviously, it gets Virginia Tech in the close field position, and then that's followed by six straight three and outs. And that was pretty staggering because when you look at it on paper, Boston College didn't get their first first down until... I guess under four minutes. Yeah, I think it was four time. minutes left in the first half. Which, I mean, you can't really ask for much more than that. I'm pretty sure after Boston College's fifth drive of the night, they were sitting at a whopping zero yards <laughs> after losing 10 on that drive, uh, after compiling only 10 yards in the first quarter. So, yeah, it was a very, very good night for the defense. Uh, pretty, as you said, vintage, vintage Virginia Tech defense. And it was exciting to see, especially even though the defense did play well at ODU, it seemed like they locked in even more uh, for this game. Well, BC just couldn't move the ball. And not to deter too far away from Virginia Tech. I don't know how good Boston College is going to be offensively. They got some good players in Phil Dracovic. They got Zay Flowers. They got Pat Garwell. But their offensive line is not very good. And we knew coming in, very inexperienced group. But I didn't realize they were going to be that bad. I mean, overall stats for BC, 155 total yards, which is not very good. Four rushing yards, which is also not very good. And 151 yards in the air. I thought Phil Dracovic... He he played a decent game, I thought, considering the circumstances with which how much you know with how much pressure was coming his way. You know, that was the keys to the game we talked about last week. If Virginia Tech can get past that offensive line and get to Phil Dracovic and force him to get the ball out, the Hokies are going to have a great shot to win the game and dominate the game defensively. And that's exactly what happened. But yeah, I mean, four rushing yards is not going to win you a ball game. That's for sure. I think. I mean, you mentioned it. I think it was seven. I think it was their eighth drive. Virginia Tech finally gave up a first down. And I think BC was in the negatives yardage-wise until four minutes remaining in the half. I mean, just an absolute display. And you couldn't have gotten off to a worse start than second play of the game in a packed lane stadium with the atmosphere already crazy to throw an interception. And Armani Chapman take it all the way back to the 13-yard line. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where Phil Dracovic just didn't have a clean pocket all night, it seemed. It was either running out, and the few balls that he was able to get out of his hands and out of bounds uh, did – I mean, the, those, there were some of those, but for the mo most part, I mean, he didn't have anywhere to run. And it just seemed like everywhere there was a tech defender coming for that D-line to chase him down. So, I mean, he, he looked rattled. It was very clear that he wasn't comfortable a lot in the pocket. And I think that helped the rest of the defense sort of just run, run free. And that's all you can really ask for. It showed on paper with just how well Tech's defense performed. Very uncomfortable night for Phil Dracovic in the pocket. The defense was swarming all night long, forced him to get the ball out. He could never really get it to Zay Flowers. 
Jerkovic's numbers, 15 for 28, 135 yards, a touchdown, and an interception that we just mentioned. Also was banged up. Definitely didn't look 100% late in the contest. Had that play where Taiwan Garbett got after him. He slipped and fell, and really just a rough night for Phil over there in Lane Stadium. Certainly a night that he is not going to forget, and certainly a night that Virginia Tech's defense is not going to forget. Pat Garwo, 10 carries, 15 yards. Zay Flowers had a carry for seven yards. That's the extent of BC's rushing attack. Receiving wise for Boston College, Zay Flowers didn't have a bad day. It's hard for him to have a bad day. He's really their only weapon offensively. Four receptions for 79 yards. George Tackett's the star tight end that is taking over for Hunter Long. The Notre Dame transfer, just one reception for four yards, which was a crucial part of the ballgame. And then Jaden Williams and Jalen Gill, the other two receivers, were not very involved at all. We mentioned Taiwan Garbett. Flipping to the other side of things for Virginia Tech's defense, yes, we mentioned they were swarming all night long. Just a fantastic display for Chris Marv and Brent Pry's defense. Dax Hollifield, another great game for him. I think he has looked awesome to start the season. Eight total tackles, three solo, including a sack and a half. But really, I didn't even see the PFF grades, but... Taiwan Garbutt is who I want to touch on. I mean, that man had the game of his life. I know we were talking about the quote that David Cunningham, he had asked him a question about being a dog and gave this great quote, and I'm sure we'll read it off in just a second. But we were talking about that before we went on air. Just a fantastic night, specifically for Taiwan Garbutt, potentially his best of his Virginia Tech career. I think this is his fifth year here in Blacksburg, and this is a night that really can cement his legacy here in Blacksburg. Yeah, four QB hits for Taiwan Garbutt. Seemed like he was in the backfield quite a bit. Only got home a few times. They only have one sack registered for him. I feel like watching the game, I feel like he got there one or two more times. Um, but no, this was a great game for him. A great game for the D-line in general. I don't want to sway too much off of him because obviously he led that unit. But I think that's one of those things where that was an experienced group uh, as you compare it to sort of other position groups on on Tech's roster, and that's what you want to see. You know, you've got J.C. Price leading that group, and they set the tone for the rest of the defense, and they allowed everyone else to sort of excel. Well, let's pull up the quote from David Cunningham himself for Tech's sideline here. Let's see. Okay, here we go. From David himself, hashtag Hokies defensive end Taiwan Garbett said he played like a dog who hadn't eaten in three days against Boston College. Quote, go mess with a dog who hasn't eaten in three days. He might bite your hand off. Close quote. That may be one of the best quotes that I've ever heard from, from a Virginia Tech Hokie. You were there, too. Was the reaction as funny as the, the quote comes off? Qu- yeah, it, quote was, comes it off? was great. It was the end of the night. Uh, things were kind of wrapping up, and it was it was a great quote to just sort of end the night on. Um, yeah, no, he it, it was a good quote. I tweeted shortly after that I think that's probably my early candidate for quote of the year. Oh, yeah, that was you. Okay, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, Jamari Connor, another great game for him. Five total tackles, three solo. Jaden Keller was more involved this week, I thought. He only played, I think, 14, 15 snaps against Old Dominion and was somebody who was pretty highly regarded coming into the year. He was highly involved with five total tackles and two solo. C.J. McCray was invested as well. Jaden McDonald saw a decent amount of playing time. And then in the secondary, also I do want to hit on Cole Nelson. He had his first ever career sack, so a shout-out to him. And then in the secondary, you look at guys like Armani Chapman. Obviously, he had the interception, but he had a couple major, major pass breakups defending Zay Flowers throughout the game that I thought were huge turning points in the contest. Dorian Strong had the same happen with him as well. We saw DJ Harvey back there. Keontae Jenkins made probably the hit of the year so far. I think he got after uh, Pat Garwo in the backfield and just absolutely levels. And one of those hits were like, 
you feel like the whole stadium start to rev up the the boom in sync. And the Hokies had a couple of those. I think Jenkins had one. I'm trying to think who had the other. It may have been Jaden Keller who had one of the others. But just overall, across the board defensively for Virginia Tech, just a night to remember. Yeah, there are five sacks total on Jakrovich, and I would say at least a couple of them were coverage sacks. I mean, the secondary really played their tails off. Uh, other than the one play that Zay Flowers escaped on that led to that mm-hmm. touchdown drive that cut the game with the one score. But, I mean, that's going to happen. It happened to ODU. happened at an unfortunate time at ODU. Don't want to really bring that up again. But, um, I mean, that happens. Zay Flowers is a good wide receiver. But other than that, I mean – his only other three receptions went for 30 yards. So I thought the secondary played really well. And no one else really seemed like they were get, able to get any space coming off the line. I think Nazir Peoples may have had one of those hits too. Big number five in maroon and orange. I think he had one of those hits. Just a great night for the secondary too. Jalen Strowman got to see him probably, I think really for the first time this year, we really got to see him contribute. So just from start to finish, a dominant effort from Brent Price defense. We saw him calling the plays once again. And just a night that the Hokie fans are are going to, for a long time, think back to when thinking about Brent Price's tenure here at Virginia Tech and how it started with a victory and what better than a, a 27-10 to 10 demolition and that type of performance defensively against a pretty solid Boston College team. So a great way for him to start his tenure here in Blacksburg. Before we flip to the other side of things offensively, I do want to talk about Brent Pry. The one thing that I noticed on Saturday, and I noticed it the week prior in Norfolk too, is it's so interesting to me to watch his sideline demeanor because watching Justin Fuente for years and watching coaches around the country, they like to be very involved. Brent Pry, what I have noticed, like BC may be driving and they're at the Tech 25-yard line going towards the south end zone, and Brent Pry is all the way down towards the end of the sideline at the opposing 25-yard line. He's very secluded, seems very mysterious in his ways, how he's calling plays. He's always got the play card above his face with the hat on and the headset. And he's not exactly somebody who catches your attention on the sideline. He's very, very secluded, and he doesn't like to seem to at least directly be involved in things. Of course, he's communicating via headset, but like, you know, before halftime and before the fourth quarter, the whole defense and the whole team is collaborating right in front of midfield, kind of trying to hype everybody up, say, hey, let's get ready for this fourth quarter. Let's close it out. Brent Price just kind of chilling on the sideline toward the bench area. I think that's something that has been interesting for me to watch. I don't know how much you've noticed, but... Yeah, up in the press box, I've, I've only been able to spot him a couple times. But I think, you know, to your point, that's sort of a testament of what Brent Price preached in two areas all offseason is that how much confidence he has in his coaching staff, mm-hmm. um, just sort of delegating responsibility to the guys that he's appointed. And he's basically said all offseason how excited he was to reach those hires and how much trust he has in each of those guys. And also the development of leaders. I think he kind of wants to stand back and sort of let guys take those leadership roles because he said it time and time again, he wants those leaders to step up and sort of lead the team and sort of take the reins away from where the coaching staff might have might have had more authority in the past. So I think that's just true to what he said all offseason. It's cool to see because he's sort of practicing what he's, what he's been preaching. Well, yeah, and that's kind of how he is behind the scenes too. I really don't think, and yes, Boston College made this a one-score game in the third quarter, but I never really felt like Virginia Tech was truly threatened in this mm-hmm. ball game because other than one Zay Flowers major reception, the defense was able to shut him down to the point where you never thought BC was going to go down the field and score unless they were to hit a big play where maybe yep. somebody like a Dorian Strong got turned around and while Tech's offense, which we'll get to this in just a second, maybe didn't play as strong as and as sharp as they would like to still, I never really thought BC was going to tie and eventually take the lead in this ball game. No, it seemed like Tech's defense pretty much 
uh, had the offense under wraps. Like you mentioned, a broken play, which basically that's what it was on the 49-yard completion as they flowers halfway through the third quarter. That set them up for a good drive. But the Tech did – I don't want to spoil too much what we're probably about to get into, but Tech did what you want to see out of a team, that is a pretty young team, uh, and respond immediately on the touchdown drive after set up. I think it was Caleb Smith. I think it was like a 40-yard reception. Then he actually finished that drive with the two-yard – two-yard catch in the end zone. So that's that's the kind of thing you want to see. I mean, it's going to happen. I didn't really feel threatened either, but it was cool to see Tech respond immediately to, to their score. And Will Ross, too, another good day for the field goal kicker. Two for two with a long of 49, three for three and extra points. The 49-yarder caught my eye because I was surprised a week prior when the Hokies did not try that 52-yard field goal to end the half against ODU. Now I think we have a better idea about Will Ross's range, and that certainly can help Virginia Tech out in the long run. Yeah, and it was interesting to see, too, because I would argue the conditions last week were a lot better. I mean, it was pretty, oh, yeah. it was pretty wet at Lane Stadium this Saturday, so it was really, really encouraging to see him just sort of do it sort of effortlessly and in what's probably not the most ideal conditions for any kicker. Peter Moore had seven punts and had an average of 45 yards, a long of 67, which was fantastic. BC's punter, I think, had a long of like 80-something yards, which was the longest punt in Lane yeah. Stadium history is what I, I heard. It, I think it was like 76, and it might have tied it, according to the radio broadcast or something like that. That's crazy that's insane yeah i think bill bill ross said something about it that in the post game and i was listening <laughs> it did yeah it, you talk about flipping the field there yeah did a did a pretty nice job all right offensively for virginia tech while like i mentioned maybe it wasn't their sharpest still it was a nice step forward in the right direction mm-hmm. the Hokies did not turn the ball over the pedal knees were certainly reduced grant wells a solid day at the helm in the backfield or should say behind center for virginia tech 16 for 25 140 yards and a touchdown in the air i thought wells while still there are ways to go to to reach his potential here at virginia tech from what we saw at marshall i thought he had a nice day at the office and i thought he really conducted the offense well yeah, it was good. And I think the one encouraging thing about his performance is it was clean. No turnovers, only was sacked once, pretty much had good pocket presence, and he wasn't really working with that much of a run game. So for him to be able to sort of stay calm and sort of surgical under those conditions, in the rain too, and sort of deliver deliver balls in the money, the one Caleb Smith played yeah, that went down the field, that was a laser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arm. So, I mean, he showed it. He showed why he was recruited here. Uh, maybe not the – the flashiest performance stat-wise from him, but he did his job, and that's all you can really ask. Well, that was what I was going to mention. The throw to Caleb Smith, was it the third quarter? It was. It was right Down the right sideline, like the 40-yard line. I mean, just a gorgeous throw, gorgeous catch, too. I mean, one of those signature plays. I mean, they could have been sports in their top 10 worthy. That's how good it was. And it wasn't like one of those highlight, like Caleb Smith is like, He's jumping up in the air in the back of the end zone on a fade and catching it one-handed. It was more like it just was executed so picture-perfect that you really just don't see that very often. It was often. truly put where only he could get it. Yes, exactly. And, and the coverage was good, too. There were two guys draped all over him, but it was put in the spot that it needed to be put. So a strong day for Wells at the office. I want to touch on, before we get into the stats in the run game and in the receiving game, the big X factor for me offensively for Virginia Tech, and this is certainly something that caught my eye, was Connor Blumrick. Mm-hmm. And he's somebody that Brent Pry mentioned after the ODU loss that he needs to get more involved in this offense. Well, he certainly was. I mean, the very first play of the game, Blumrick lines up in the wildcat formation, and he takes the direct snap. Yeah. I mean, just kind of cheating a little bit. He caught five receptions for 46 yards. He was going to throw the ball. On a, on a pass in the backfield, on a backwards pass, and was going to try to hit, I think it was 
Daywan Lofton in the end zone, if he was open, that play was there. Ended up tucking it and got a few yards on the play. But Connor Blumrick was very, very involved in a lot of different ways in the blocking game, tight end wise, in the receiving game, downfield, short passes. I mean, he's just exactly what you, what you pictured him potentially being involved in for Virginia Tech. And he's somebody after the pinstripe bowl last year, you're like, well, he's probably not going to be a quarterback here long term, but he can really be utilized in the offense if properly done so. And that's exactly what Virginia Tech showcased on Saturday. Yeah, he's kind of got that Taysom Hill yeah. uh, comp to him, but you know he he ended up being a very critical part in the offense, and it was something that Brent Pry said after the game that they really made it a point mm-hmm. of emphasis to get him involved. Um, and I think that just having him on the field, it's almost his presence creates sort of confusion for defenses because wherever he's lined up, you don't really know what he's going to do. I mean, you mentioned it; he he's pretty much the only player who registered a stat in every single. Thing on offense between passing, rushing, <laughs> so I mean, when you've got a guy like that, that's a um, it's an it's an interesting X factor that you have on your offense that sort of opens up your playbook. Whether he's actually getting the ball or not, he's the threat of him doing something with it in any area of the field still there. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. When he's on the field, you don't know what he's going to do if you're an opposing defense. I mean, he's a guy that can go downfield and catch a pass. He can even be involved in the screen play. Just a lot of different things he can do. His athleticism is obviously off the charts. If he can continue to improve in the blocking side of things, because Drake Dulles and Nick Gallo have struggled blocking-wise, and that is allowed Virginia Tech to not be able to do as much on the outside in the run game. So if he can continue to improve there and get more involved, Connor Blumrick is going to play a ton because he can do a ton of different things for you offensively. That's exactly what Brent Pry and Tyler Bowen have preached this whole time. So that was certainly probably the storyline offensively for me because he's somebody that you can picture now being involved in a lot of different ways going forward. And now, you know, it was talked about throughout the offseason but the ODU game, he was not very involved. So now that you've seen Virginia Tech do it on the field in a real game that counts, in an ACC game that counts, it's something to watch out for going forward. Let's get into the run game. Keyshawn King, just four carries, 64 yards, the 65-yard touchdown, I believe. 65-yard touchdown? Yep. 65-yard touchdown. First play of the drive. First play of the drive. Showing that burst of speed. When he gets out in the open, you're not catching him. He didn't play, I think, the entirety of the second half. Was banged up with an injury, but said he's going to be good to go. Brent Price said he's going to be good to go for this weekend's game against Wofford, which is certainly a good sign. But Keyshawn King seemed like he was kind of in the cage with the coaches in the Fuente era for Virginia Tech. He was kind of in Fuente's cage is probably how I want to put it. You know, like he's somebody who we didn't necessarily see what he was capable of the past few years. And he would show in flashes that he could be a really good running back for Virginia Tech. But if he can do this consistently for the Hokies with Malachi Thomas coming back and you could potentially split him out wide, he's going to do big things here in 2022. Yeah. I mean, his speed is unmatched by anyone on the roster. And he, I mean, other than maybe Colbeck who we haven't really seen outside of special teams, but you know, obviously the injury stinks, but it's set. Brent Price said he'll probably be fine. Uh, expect him to be, I think as of right now, he'll, he'll be good for Wofford. But, I mean, it's just one of those things that – and that's got to be comforting for you as a coaching staff to know that at least on paper your starter isn't on the field, your day one starter isn't on the field, and you've got a guy right behind him that can take it the distance in open field. I mean, Keyshawn King would be a starter in a lot of Power 5 programs yeah. based on his performances the last two weeks and based on the athleticism he possesses. So, I mean, that's that's just one thing I took away from it. Uh, a little disappointing Jalen Holston's performance – only averaged 2.4 yards per rush and got the bulk of the carries. But um, 
Yeah, if you well, yeah, no, I was going to touch on something with that too. But Keyshawn King, I think the physicality level is just so much better too. Uh, yeah. You think about that block he laid mm-hmm. on Jason Henderson with ODU last weekend in Norfolk. It was the play that actually I think it was Grant Wallace's first interception of the ball game. But Keyshawn King has a shot to be a big part of this Virginia Tech offense because, like we mentioned last week, when Malachi Thomas comes back, sure Keyshawn King can play in the backfield and complement Jalen Holston as the number two. But because of the lack of receiving depth that Virginia Tech has, we can see Keyshawn King, and we've seen him in practice, split out wide and catch passes downfield and really be a weapon for this Hokies offense with his speed and his athleticism. So Keyshawn King is certainly somebody to watch out for as well. Another encouraging game for him. Jalen Holston, you touched on him. 20 carries for 48 yards. Did have that one-yard touchdown. I thought it was a decent game for Holston. I think with his stats too, and I touched on it earlier, the, the blocking from the tight ends was not good on Saturday. From Nick Gallo and Drake Dulius. So the Hokies were unable to run to the outside. I mean, basically the Hokies, all they had to do and all they could do was run the ball right up the middle. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did with, J- with Jalen Holson for the bulk of the game. So the Hokies, for Virginia Tech to be successful in the run game, and especially while Malachi Thomas is still out, the tight ends got to get better in the blocking game for sure. And that can open up a whole new realm of possibilities for Virginia Tech with Holston, with Malachi Thomas, with Keyshawn King. And speaking of Malachi Thomas, practice last Wednesday, but was extremely limited. Don't think he's going to play this weekend against uh, against Wofford. I highly doubt we're going to no, see him against the Terriers. There's no need for that. But I think there's a shot we could see him for West Virginia. So that is certainly something to watch out for. But you still got to be kind of encouraged with the run game right now for Virginia Tech because if you can clean up those things with the tight ends, the Hokies are going to have some threats. One with Thomas. Two, we've seen what Keyshawn King has done now. And Jalen Holston, obviously, is waiting in the wings and still has shown some good stuff so far here in Blacksburg in 2022. Yep. Did see Chance Black, Chance Black a little bit. Eight carries for 11 yards. Did have a nine-yard rush, but he was kind of in that conundrum with Holston, too, where they were just going to run the ball up the yep. middle to get a yard or two just to kind of wind some clock and not being able to bounce it to the outside. So it's been interesting that we've seen him a little bit. And I don't know what his role will be when Malachi Thomas comes back. Sure, you know, it will probably diminish a little bit, but it has been interesting to see Keyshawn King, or I'm sorry, Chance Black get some reps, too, behind Keyshawn King and Jalen Holston. Receiving game for Virginia Tech. I was pretty good on Saturday. Caleb Smith, although he was limited after going out at ODU with an injury, three receptions for 50 yards with that 43-yard reception. I think if you can get him back to full strength, Caleb Smith is going to be a huge weapon for Virginia Tech. Yeah, I mean, he's your obviously your most experienced wide receiver. He's shown that he can take the bulk of the, bulk of the targets on offense and really do do magic with it. Um, but yeah, I think, and like we've, we've talked about pretty much to death uh, over the last 10 minutes, but that one catch, I mean, that those are the plays that you need your your most experienced guys to make, and he made one. Um, so yeah, I think Caleb Smith obviously is your leader in the in the receiving room, and he has been showing it. But you know, when you've got Connor Blumrick right behind him setting up setting up at the tight end spot, I mean, you've got options for Grant Wells, and I think that's only going to make him more comfortable as he sort of continues to settle in as his role or in his role as a starter. Oh, can't help but agree. And and Blumrick, we mentioned him, five receptions for 46 yards. Really good day for Connor in Lane Stadium. Steven Gosnell is somebody who I was a little bit surprised. I guess I should say I'm surprised how involved he is in the offense. You know, when he transferred in from North Carolina, I think he had caught like two passes in the past two years. Mm -hmm. 
So, and, and that's a, that's an ACC school kind of in the same ballpark as Virginia Tech right now. But he comes in, and yes, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with Jaden Blue still being banged up and Caleb Smith being banged up, but he's played a major role in this offense. We've seen him targeted multiple times, had two receptions for 30 yards on Saturday, had a couple big catches at ODU. It's been interesting to see him get involved as well. Yeah, he's almost acted as like sort of a safety net for Grant Wells because yeah. a lot of his routes have been shorter, and he's been able to do, do some work with them. Uh, I know his longest one on Saturday was 17 yards, and I'm pretty sure both the passes he caught on Saturday were underneath routes. So, mm-hmm. so he's a good, good little dude to have sort of underneath just in case things go go awry. And the other thing too with the receiving game, they targeted Drake Dulius and Nick Gallo a couple of times. Really couldn't find the tight ends. They didn't really play a ton when Blumerick continued to do things offensively. And once they once Tyler Bowen figured out that they were unable to block on Saturday, they really didn't find themselves in the contest towards probably the latter half of the ball game, third and fourth quarter. Daylon Lofton is somebody, too, who did see, obviously, some considerable amount of time on Saturday. He's going to be a big part of this team, but didn't see a ton from him. Two receptions for actually negative two yards. So I think the Hokies would like to see Lofton get a little bit more involved, build off a decent game against ODU, but Lofton is going to be a big part of this team going forward for sure. Did see Christian Moss and Cole Beck checking in the game a couple times. I felt I, oh, I must have missed that. Oh, really? So, well, I was a little closer to the game, so I could see a little bit better. But Christian Moss and Cole Beck, they did check into the game, and they, they got a couple snaps in. They were not targeted, but that was certainly interesting to note as well. Hokies changed up their depth chart. Christian Moss and I believe Jalen Jones are now both on there. Will, William Kakabitsis, the walk-on, I don't think really saw any time on Saturday. He's still on the depth chart, but the Hokies... Interesting to see what they do with their receiving room going forward as they continue to get guys more involved, continue to get guys healthier, such as a Jaden Blue, the Temple mm-hmm. transfer, who we have really not seen yet so far, and somebody like a Caleb Smith, more and more healthy. More notes on Virginia Tech overall. Just touching on the overall performance, I think you got to be pleased. Defensively, we mentioned that, I mean, you couldn't have been happier. Offensively, needs to improve a little bit. But I think Virginia Tech, there has to be a little bit of a sigh of relief for the fan base coming off of a game like this. You win a game against a competitive BC team, and now you set themselves up, set yourselves up for a little bit of a run going forward. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say Tech necessarily performed all that poorly against ODU. I obviously wasn't the result you wanted, but it was cool to see sort of that performance translate to an ACC school. I mean, the defense played well at ODU, played even better against an ACC school. Oh, yeah. And offensively, seemed like some of the some of that chemistry was a little more refined. Um, and it's just one of those things where it seems like this team is sort of sort of building it's building an identity of mm-hmm. defense getting the ball back to the offense and the offense sort of just doing what they can with it. Because I asked Brett Pry about it and how the defense sort of sets up the offense for success as it's still trying to sort of find its footing. And he said it was one of the more important things of just, you know, the defense staying locked down so that way the offense can get as many chances as it can get. So I think it's one of those things. Um, the team's going to continue to develop. It's only week three coming up. Uh, but there is room to, for encouragement, I guess, based on what you've seen the last two weeks, even though one of them was a loss to a Sun Belt team. Well, everybody knew this team's strength was going to be the defense. Everybody knew that Virginia Tech was going to run the ball a lot. That has not been a surprise early on, and that's exactly what has happened. So it should be interesting. You touched on it. It should be interesting to see how Virginia Tech develops and gets better going forward. And like I just mentioned, you got an opportunity to go on a run. The Hokies will beat Wofford, you would think, on Saturday. I don't think the Terriers I, – I read earlier today, I haven't really dove much into my Wofford prep. Wofford has not scored a touchdown this season. They haven't scored this season. 
I think they've been outscored 57 to nothing two games in against Chattanooga. Yeah, look that up for me real fast. Against Chattanooga and Elon. So the Hokies, obviously, will get into, yeah, let's see. Yeah, 57 to nothing. They lost to Elon this past Saturday, 26 to nothing. And then they lost to Chattanooga in Chattanooga, 31 to nothing. So not a good start for the Terriers and the Mike Young Bowl. But still, I mean, it'll be an interesting game this weekend. 11 a.m. kick, which is certainly bizarre and odd. I'll be curious to see the crowd. But don't want to tease Wofford too, too much. We'll get to that later in our Wofford preview pod that will come up later this week, previewing Virginia Tech and the Terriers coming up from Lane Stadium at 11 a.m. this upcoming Saturday. But you got Wofford, and then West Virginia has not played well to start the season. They they could have beaten Pitt. They could have beaten Pitt a couple weeks ago. But then you lose to Kansas at home. You give up 55 points. So the Hokies, they got to be feeling pretty good about that West Virginia game now, and that would set you up. 3-1 and one, heading into Chapel Hill, already 1-0 in ACC play. So the Hokies have an opportunity to go on a little bit of a run here. Yeah, our, our season predictions for those that remember it might be a little off, but they could be better than what we thought um, going into. I think we had both at 4-0. and I think so. Yeah. But I had Boston College as a toss-up. I thought the Hokies would definitely beat ODU. Gotcha. But I had Boston College. I thought Boston College was going to be better than they showed yeah. on Saturday. And, you know, they've lost now to Rutgers and Virginia Tech, so they're 0-2. Their offensive line is atrocious, so we'll see how they develop and how much they get better as the year goes on. They play Maine this weekend, so they should win. The mighty Maine Black Bears at 7.30 if anybody's interested in watching that one. So it should be an easy weekend for both BC and Virginia Tech. But again, we'll have much more on a preview pod coming up later this week. A couple of housekeeping notes before we go. Jack and I had talked about a couple ideas for the podcast going forward. So, you know, as we're transitioning more throughout football season and towards the end of football season, there'll be some good opportunities for us to have some good things on air. I think there's going to be some men's basketball news coming out tomorrow afternoon. So I may have a short little podcast coming out about that, depending on how much time I have. But there's a lot of excitement going on around Virginia Tech football right now. Virginia Tech basketball should be a great year for both the men and the women over in Castle Coliseum and multiple other sports as well. I know men's soccer is trying to get going, but women's soccer has gotten off to a nice start. I think five to two winners over Northern Colorado yesterday. So. It's a good time to be a Hokie right now. So with that, Jack, do you got anything else before we hop off? No, one thing I will say is when you look up Wofford football, uh, the first question is, is Wofford football good? So I think that should be a good sign for Virginia It Tech. says, in recent years, Wofford's football and other athletic teams have finished near the top in the country. Well, I think I, and again, we'll get more into this later this week. I think Wofford went like, I think they were like 2-9 and nine last year or something like that. So they traditionally do not have a very good football program. But it is the Mike Young Bowl, the Cabe Luma, Storm Murphy, Hunter Couture Bowl. So there is something to get excited about this week in the Blacksburg. You can have a good tailgate even if it is potentially after the game, or you can tailgate with some Carolee Donuts. So it'll be an interesting weekend for sure. But with that, that'll do it for episode 60 of the Goblin Up podcast, a part of the 5th Quarter Sports Network and presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg. We're going to keep trying these 35 to 36-minute podcasts, and hopefully they'll, they'll be working pretty well. You know, I think it's a good opportunity for us to get on air and kind of talk about things very quickly, give everybody a good opportunity to catch up with what's going on on their commute to work or their drive home. So I think it'll work out for both sides here. So that was Jack Brizendine, my co-host. I'm Carter Hill. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Reminder, if you want to check out a new or pre-owned car, visit DuncanMazda.net or visit them over on 460 Business in Blacksburg. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, we will talk to you later this week as we preview Virginia Tech in Wofford. Till then, take care and have a safe week, everybody.